Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Beginnings are important. I mean, think about it. If you uh, walk into the living room and there is a movie on and in the middle of the movie and you're like, oh, this is interesting, you're going to say, well, I'm going to have to go back and watch this from the beginning. And how many of you, when starting to read a new novel, says, gee, I think I'll start at chapter 12. Beginnings are important. I mean, think about how you talk about meeting your spouse or talk about the birth of your child. Beginnings are important. They tell us something about our story. They tell us about who we are. They make our lives meaningful. You see, there's a reason that even after Jesus came, we retained the Old Testament. Because beginnings are important, and without the Old Testament, we aren't really going to understand Jesus and what he is teaching and what's going on. You see, the beginnings are always an important part of our lives. But sometimes we think we know what the beginning is, and in fact, we may find out that's not really the beginning at all. Uh, how many people these days uh, found out after generations saying that they had a Native American ancestor, you know, your great-great-great-great-grandma was Native American, and now today they take a DNA test and no Native American blood. Okay, what's with that story? Or I once read a book about a fam uh, written by a family who said that once they did some uh, genealogical work, they found out that their, their ancestors had actually been slave traders and slaveholders. And they'd always thought they were these great, great people, 
And now they had to deal with a beginning that wasn't quite what they'd always been told. Sometimes we have to go back to the beginning and rethink what it is we've always been told. And yes, I think we have to go back to the beginning of the Bible. Because what we know is true may not actually be there in that story in the beginning. And I want to say, if we get the beginning wrong, we probably don't quite read the rest of the Bible correctly. I mean, after all, I think most of you know, there's no apple in this story. If you look at the story, we always talk about it as the fall. It says nothing about falling or a fall. That comes from later on down the road. If I asked most Christians about the serpent, they would say, oh, well, that's the devil, that's Satan. But did you know that in the Hebrew understanding, these ancient people had no idea, no concept of Satan, Hasatan, till several thousand years after this story was told and written. For the people who first told this story, this was not Satan or the devil. And if I asked most people about this story, they would say, well, it's about disobedience and sin. Disobedience and sin. And I want to say, if we're really reading the story, yeah, maybe that's there, but that may not be what the story is actually trying to convey to us. And if we make the beginning about disobedience and sin, then the whole rest of the salvation history and the narrative is going to be about pointing fingers at other people's sins and suggesting that I am not as sinful. And so it is that we need to come back to the beginning. And maybe we need to begin again. You know, of course, that there are two creation stories, and we spend more time with the second and sometimes forget about the first, but the first simply tells us that God speaks everything into existence, that God deems everything that God has created as being good. There's nothing bad. There is nothing evil that God has created. Everything is good. And then the story tells us that human beings have been made in the image of God. All of this first story is a story of God creating a perfect, good organized, orderly kind of world and universe. Everything as God intends it to be. Then we get to the second story, which is really a much more intimate story because there's God in the garden talking to Adam, but really until the woman is created, it's ha-adam. It's, it means the earth creature. It means the one who's pulled out of dirt. That's, that's the dirt creature there talking to God literally in the Hebrew understanding. 
And in fact, what's wonderful about this story is God's asking Ha'adam to participate in God's work. They're at this together, right? So God uh, brings this, here, Adam, and you want to name it? And Adam's like, yeah, how about zebra? And God's like, oh, good one. You know, they are in this together. They're doing this kind of work together in this perfect, orderly world. And God says to the earth creature, look, hey, you can eat anything that's here. This whole place is yours. But you know that tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of good and evil? Yeah, don't, don't eat that or you'll, you'll die. Now, the Hebrew word there is, is so interesting because it's mat tamut. It's a really emphatic phrase. And it's like God says, Death, you will die. Not just you'll die. If you eat death, you will die. It's like, it's like saying you will really, 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 really die. Only problem is here, Adam has no idea what die is or death. That's, that's not even in the realm of his experience. What is that? All he knows is God's really emphatic. Don't eat from that because this thing. Oh, okay. You see, the woman hasn't even been created yet when this statement of don't eat from that tree in the middle is given to Hadam, to Ha-Adam. And after, because God is really all about relationship and wants Ha-Adam to have someone whom he can relate to as an equal, really, because none of the others satisfy that kind of need, then the woman is created. Now, how did the woman find out that, she, that you're not supposed to eat from that tree? The text doesn't tell us. We have to assume that it was the man's job to tell her, don't you laugh, to tell her what God had said. Did he do it? Well, we don't really know. The story doesn't tell us. Did God tell her directly? We don't know. God, this text doesn't tell us. All we know is that there is this prohibition. And so we think then comes this key part of the text where uh, the two people eat and they're disobedient. Sin enters into the world. Okay, hold on a minute. Do you think God didn't know what was going to happen? Does anyone think God didn't know that they were already going to eat from that tree? We act as if like, like God puts this test up to see what's going to happen. God already knows they're going to eat from that tree. That's God. God. God knows everything, people. So does that mean, then, that God's like uh, the cause of their sin? Does that mean, what is that, then? Why would God do that? Now remember, this serpent figure here is really the one who initiates the problem in the eating from the tree. 
And what this serpent does is use words to manipulate and cause these questions to arise that weren't there before. And essentially, let me boil it down for you, there are two things that the serpent puts forth. One, do you really need God? Do you? you, 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 you come on. You don't really need God. And secondly, the serpent kind of puts this one out there. You can be more than you are. You can have more than you currently have. You see, the serpent puts these two questions that actually follow every human being on this journey of life. The question of, do you really need God? And secondly, wouldn't you want to be more than you are now and have more than you have? You see, what that serpent does is say and raise the possibility that these people could put themselves in the center of the garden and push God off to the side. And I'm here to tell you this is sort of the fundamental human problem. And if you read the rest of Scripture, you're going to find that the question over and over again is, do they need God or are they going to put themselves in the center and are they going to try and get more things and get more power and do what they want? You see, this serpent has introduced the fundamental questions of human life. I think a lot of times when we talk about those people who are outside of the church or who are non-believers, the real questions that they're wrestling with is, do I need God and can't I have and be more than I am now and isn't that what life is all about? Those are the messages that society sends all the time. You don't need God. You just need more stuff. You just need more power. You just need to, to lose weight. You just need to fix your nose. You just need, and all the time, God is saying, I made you good and perfectly fine just the way you are. But you want more. I think if you witness to people, you don't want to say to them, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because they're like, I don't know what that is, and it doesn't matter to me. If you say to them instead, you know, I have found in my life I need God. And I have found in my life that when I learn to be content in any situation, when I learn that I am enough, that I am good enough, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that God is walking with me just as I am, my life is so much better. You see, this is not so much sin and disobedience as it is opening the door to the human being thinking that I can be at the center. And listen, where does evil really come from? It actually comes from the human choices most of the time to want to be better than someone else, to want to have more than someone else, to think that they don't need God. That is what's being placed before us in 
this story. It's a, it's a call to us to recognize, yes, we do need God. And no, being more and having more is not the key to the good life. It's not going to give you the happiness and the peacefulness that you're really seeking. But there are two more things here that I want to point out before I leave you to ponder it all on your own. Did she really say, okay, one, it's like, well, what about that punishment stuff, right? God punishes these people. Well, first of all, you have to understand the ancient people's mindset. These are what we call etiological stories. Some of you have heard me talk about this. They are explanations for people who didn't have any science to go on and, and really didn't have a lot of understanding. So someone would say, ew, those snakes, ooh, yuck, they, 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 why don't they have legs? Oh, well, that's because of the, when they, uh, when it tempted the woman, you see. Or, oh, why does a woman have to have pain in labor? Oh, well, that's because. You see, they were explanations for people who didn't have sophisticated explanations. And in fact, if you read this story, what is the last thing that happens in it? God clothes them and then sends them on their way. In other words, the last thing that God does is say, I am providing for you. I am putting a covering over you. I am going with you. I am going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. But you have to take this journey. You see, many biblical scholars, when they see this story, they want us to remember its mythic quality. Now, you have heard me say this before. Just because it's a myth doesn't mean it's not true. So a myth may not be historically and scientifically true, but it tells us something true about who we are as human beings and who we are before God. Why does Jesus use parables and stories? They, they may not be historically true, but they're true in what they're telling us about our human lives. And in this myth, it could almost be read as the story that each and every human being will have to live. You see, each of us is born in a way that we are innocent and know nothing of death and know nothing of good and evil. Look at Callan, look at Harper. They don't know anything about good, evil. All they know is their relationships and their innocence and the care and their need for one another and then their basic needs. I'm hungry, I need changed, uh, I need to be hugged. Whatever it may be, there's this real purity of what is needed and what their world is about. Why do you think that Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to become like one of these children. 
you have to find your way back to a time when you are purely present to God and others. You have to find your way back to a time before you're clamoring to have more than others, to be more than others. You have to return to being a child. And yet, we all know, in a few short years, we will have to teach these little ones about good and evil. They don't exist for them right now, but they're out there and we know it. And soon they will have to make choices about whether they are going to believe that they need God and follow a way that Jesus teaches in which you are in relationship and kind and caring toward others rather than trying to point fingers or get one up on them. You see, none of us can avoid this journey. None of us can avoid having to leave the Garden of Eden. And all of us will face that question, do you really need God? And all of us will face that question, you could be more, don't you want to be more? Don't you want to have more than other people? Ultimately, if we understand the beginning, we know how to answer those questions and our journey through life will help to take us back to that goodness of the beginning that God has given us and will allow us to invite others to join us in that beginning. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.